been an awesome couple of weeks. Um, last week, Matt Bays, wow, what a powerful story. And just heard some really incredible spiritual things from that. And how about Luke Edgerton preaching on July 3rd? I had people come up and were like, I wasn't sure going in if I was going to be able to come back to this church afterwards, but that was awesome. He did such a good job. Way to go, Luke. We didn't think you had it in you. Uh, no, we knew he did. If you have a Bible, turn to Genesis chapter 4. We're starting a new four-week teaching series this morning. I literally got off a plane last night with three children. Pray for my renewed salvation. And I'll tell you, man, we were on one of those Allegiant flights where it's like really cheap, but once you get up in the airplane, you're not sure it was worth it because you're not sure you're going to be alive when you get there, right? Like, that's what I just went through and got off the plane, and I'm teaching this this morning, an issue and subject that is incredibly important for us to talk about, God's sex in the Bible, an honest conversation. And I believe in doing just that. I think when you talk about these things, you have to be blunt and not talk around issues or it's worthless. And so if you've come in here and you were super nervous coming in because you knew we were going to be talking about this, Welcome. Thank you for your bravery, your courageousness this morning. I just simply ask that maybe uh, my words get small and God's words get big in your life. That's it. Uh, for those of you that weren't aware we're going to be talking about this, it is PG-13. I'm going to do my best to make it uh, appropriate for a broad audience, but we are going to talk bluntly about them, and I believe in at younger ages we're dealing with this today. And so know that. Don't feel bad in the middle of this. you got to get up and walk out. I will take it personally, but it's okay. I'll get over it. <laughs> I won't take it personally. Here's a question I want to ask as we dive into this subject. Why would we even talk about sex in the church in the first place? We all know that in our culture today, uh, sex is everywhere. It's pervasive. It's used to tempt us into purchasing items. Uh, you see it all over the place. The world teaches us about sex in our movies, in our culture, in our music, in our TV ads, in our television shows, even in our books. And the message isn't always clear on that. And while society has a very large mouth when it comes to this particular issue, unfortunately, in our churches, we often never address the topic. Now, maybe you grew up in a different church than I did, but the church I grew up in was a great church. We never would have in a thousand years dreamed of talking about this issue in church. And that's not something new to Christianity. You realize throughout church history, there have been those that opposed Addressing this issue. Ironically, as we're going to share this morning, God is the one that created it. He's the one that made it pleasurable. And he is the one that I believe is the ultimate authority to have a better vision for what this area of our life could look like. And so that's what we're going to talk about. Throughout Christian history, there has been a one-word answer when it comes to talking about sex in church. And that one word, can you guess it, is No. No, don't do it. Don't talk about doing it. I don't ever want to hear about it. If you're married, never bring it up in your marriage. Just don't ever talk about it. No, while culture tells us everything that we should believe on this subject. It's not new to Tullian, the person who came up with the phrase Trinitas, the Trinity, a theological view we believe here. He had a very negative view of sex early in the church. Gregory of Nyssa, one of the early church fathers, did as well. One of my favorites, uh, Origen. Get this. Origen came up with the phrase, eternally begotten son. 
So if you grew up and you knew the Nicene Creed or maybe grew up Catholic, uh, powerful creed, that, that phrase, eternally begotten son, that came from origin, he preferred castration of males over participating in the act of sex. Wow, man, that is a very different view from what most of us would like. Well, my personal favorite is Jerome, a later church father. Here's what he did. When he would become physically or sexually aroused, it's said that he would run into thorn bushes in order to prevent it and make that feeling go away. So for the single people in the room that you're struggling with this issue and the married people that are struggling, just run into the thorn bushes in your backyard when it happens, man. That's all you got to do. There's got to be a better way than that, isn't there? I believe scriptures speak a lot to what I'm going to call the gift of sex. I think as Christians, we need a healthier view of sex and understand the boundaries, yes, boundaries, that God intentionally placed there. And look, I'm going to be honest, as we dive into this, some of you, you're going to struggle with this, and it's okay. You've come to the right place. We can work with you. We can see where God is at in your life now. And it may take time as we learn to follow him. The first sex scene in the Bible happens in Genesis chapter 4, verse 1. Let's read it. Adam made love to his wife Eve, and she became pregnant and gave birth to Cain. Then verse 2, they have Abel. Made love there, the word in Hebrew is yada. Looks like Yoda except two A's. Yada means to know. Right? So to biblically know someone, that's what it was a reference to, that they made love, that they knew. So first lesson, in order to have sex, you have to actually know the person. Secondly, sex is more than just this physical act. Throughout the Old Testament and the New Testament, there was this depth. Even in the New Testament, we'll read later, the spiritual depth to what that act represented. Yadah meant to know them. You see, from the very beginning, God didn't create sex to be this thing that was destructive in our culture. It was meant to bring this married couple, Adam and Eve, closer together. It was meant to bring them together, not only as one, but spiritually on the same plane with each other. That's at the heart of what we're going to get at this morning as we talk about the gift of sex and some of the boundaries. Will you pray with me as we do this? God, we just pause for a moment and we confess, um, some of us, many of us, all of us, are struggling in some area of this. And we're afraid to admit it. We're afraid to talk to people. We don't want to talk to our parents. We don't want to bring it up with our spouse. We don't know how to talk to our kids about it. And so, Lord Jesus, we just pray this morning that you would speak directly to our lives over this. We acknowledge the presence of your Holy Spirit in this room right now. God, we pray that you would encourage us and convict us this morning. We pray this in Jesus' name and all God's family said, amen. Amen. So I got a seven-year-old son. His name's Jake. And uh, recently, we were on vacation, so they had this pool, and we were swimming in the pool, and he decided he wanted to run across the street and go. His mom was down at the beach. So he got out of the pool, and he was about to run across. I said, Jake, hey, before you run across the street, I've seen cars driving like 40, 50 miles an hour. There's bushes there, not thorn bushes, praise the Lord, but he cannot see you when they come by. So when you get to the street, you got to look both ways and make sure there's no cars coming. He's, some of the parents in the room can identify with this. He said, yeah, 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 I know, Dad, I know. 
I know, look, look both ways, I get it. No, no, you don't understand, son. Like, you, you really need to look both ways before it's right there. You're about to cross the street. Look before you just run across the street. Oh, I know, Dad, I know. I know. After about the third time, he told me, yeah, I know, Dad, I know. I said, okay, I'll see Literally goes out the gate, and what's he do, parents? Sprints right across the street without taking a look either way. And we know with our kids that happens sometimes. I want to talk to the adults in the room. Some of you, you're going to be sitting there as we go through some of this of what the Bible does and does not say about sex. And you're going to be going, yeah, 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 I know, I know, I know. And our good heavenly father is going to be speaking to us about certain things in our life. We're going to be like, yeah, yeah, I know, I know. And in the back of your mind, you're going to be thinking, but, but I could never honor you in this area. But I've made some mistakes and I got some baggage in my life. But I just think that it is completely impossible. But it's not culturally relevant today. That was a different time period that doesn't apply to today. But I've tried before and I just fail. So why even bother? And I could keep going down the list, couldn't I? I know, I know, I know. And my desire for myself and for each of us today that we could listen to our good heavenly father because I believe that God wants the best for our sex lives, not just to settle. That there is something much greater at stake than just the physical act of intimacy. That God is actually trying to protect us with some of these boundaries. Whether it's in our dating life, whether it's in our married life or protecting our children or our families, I believe that he's trying to do that. An entire generation, an entire kingdom was split in two over the sexual sin of just one person. And get, get this, before you think, oh, he was a horrible person. He was a man after God's own heart, King David. He was one of the greatest kings in Israelite history. And because of his one sexual sin issue with Bathsheba, he ends up having their son Solomon, who then, because of the sin of his father and the grandkids, end up having their own sin in their life. And because of one mistake of sexual sin, it spreads, and over generations, that entire kingdom is split in two, and Solomon's own kids want to kill him. David's grandkids will split the kingdom in two, I believe, simply because of that one issue. This stuff matters. It matters to our marriages. It matters to our families. And I believe that God wants the best for us, not the worst. Do you agree? For those watching online, there were so many amens right there. It was just very loud in here. But that's the reality here. I'm going to give you some really quick ways to take notes. You're going to have to follow fast. I'm going to ask just four questions this morning. Four, man. We get not just three-point sermon this morning. Number one, what does the Bible say about premarital sex? Oh, oh, man. Just get out that word no again. Just stay that for the rest of the sermon. Here's what, get this. I have worked with young people for a really long time. And y'all, you got to do, man, you work with 20 and 30-somethings for a while, and we can justify anything. Believe me, we can. And we often say, well, did the Bible really talk about premarital sex? Look at Deuteronomy chapter 2. This is in the Old Testament, this weird, crazy passage. In verse 13, it says, If a man takes a wife and after sleeping with her, dislikes her and slanders her and gives her a bad name, saying, I married this woman, but when I approached her, I did not find proof of her virginity. Then the young woman's father... And mother shall bring to the town elders that they gave proof that she was a virgin. What? 
Could you imagine that on your wedding night? Like, the, the, here's the thing. Let's just ignore for a second that it treats women as possessions, and I don't think God liked that back then and he doesn't like it today. But, but secondly, put the verse back up there. That in this passage, the idea that in Jewish history that sex before marriage in any way, shape, or form would, not have, would have been accepted, I mean, that's just not the case, guys. Throughout Jewish history, both in the Old Testament and the New Testament, this was something that God made very clear was not okay outside of a marriage relationship. And look, I actually got married a little bit later than some of my friends. I, I understand, now some of you have been doing it longer than I have, so I understand, though, the struggle. I get it. Not trying to make light of it, I'm trying to be honest with you. Jesus came to bring grace, he also came to bring truth, and we're going to do both throughout this series. I'm going to be honest with you when I think he is actually desiring more for us. It was clear that this was a sexual sin issue. In fact, many people then in response to that will say, well, that was like thousands of years ago. Like, what is that? Today we got so much more issues with sex in our culture. It's way harder today. They just don't understand. This is not a new issue. Moses and the Israelites, they see the Red Sea part. And they're in the wilderness, getting ready to go to the promised land. And Moses walks up to the top of the mountain for a little while. He comes back down. And literally, the Bible says that they're having orgies with each other. Thousands of years ago, that's what's happening. Man, you don't even need to read Ezekiel 16, verse 17. I'm not going to read it out loud because it's too offensive for us, even though it's in the Bible. And it talks about how they make statues that are men, and then they use them for sexual acts. Like, this sort of thing is throughout Scripture even in the New Testament, like if you wanted to worship the goddess Aphrodite in the city of Corinth, the way you would worship her is if you're having trouble having kids, you go to the temple and you have sex with the temple prostitutes, and then you go home and the gods are not going to honor the sex with your wife. That's crazy, both spiritually and scientifically, like it's less likely to occur now. This is not a new issue in our culture. It's not. God's been speaking to us for generations upon generations upon generations. He Hebrews chapter 13, verse 4, and I'm going to apply this both to premarital sex and marital sex. Marriage should be honored by all, and the marriage bed kept pure, for God will judge the adulterer and all the sexually immoral. Now, see the word sexually immoral, the phrase there? You want to underline or highlight that or write that down. That you see it all over the New Testament. And the root of that word is the word porneo. And it means sexually immoral. The idea, first of all, that included in that list wouldn't be premarital sex, I'm sorry, is ludicrous because throughout Jewish history, that was just the case. They would have known that to be true. And most scholars would agree with that. But that also represents a whole lot more than just premarital issues. It represents marital issues. It represents the things we look at online. It represents the way we look and treat men and women. It represents a lot of things. And so I want to talk about for that for a little bit. We talked about premarital sex. What about married sex? See, I believe that sin enters the picture when lust enters the picture. And for some of you who have been married for a while, there's this like common thing like, look, I'm not cheating on my spouse. This isn't really an issue for me. And yet, there are little things that creep into our minds and into our lives. We think, well, if I just look and don't touch, it's okay to look at the menu as long as I don't order. Right? Like, we're being honest. Like, some of us think these things. Like, the, the Bible's really clear. Like, when lust enters the picture, Jesus says that if you look at a woman or a man lustfully with your heart, then you have committed adultery in your own heart if you look lustfully with your eyes. 
This is a big issue. When lust enters the picture, that's where sin begins to creep in. And I love how in 1 Peter, Peter describes Satan as this roaring lion in our lives. You know the passage I'm talking about? But it's so funny. When Satan gets us the most, a lot of times it's not the roaring lion that he starts out with. He's not Mufasa. He's like a little Simba, right? He's so cute and cuddly. He's just a little lion cub. I just want to invite that into my, there's nothing wrong with that. I'm just looking a little bit. I'm just having a little bit of lust. That's nice. I still love my wife. I still love my husband. And before you know it, this little thing, cute little lion cub, grows up into something much larger and pervasive in our lives. And now we don't know what to do. And what if rather than pointing fingers, we take the boxing gloves off a little bit and we actually engage each other right where we're at and ask God to really bring some encouragement and conviction that he could actually see that changed in our lives. Do you believe that the God that created you, that knitted you together in your mother's womb could actually handle the issues that you're facing? I believe he can. And that doesn't start when you reach a certain age or it doesn't end after you grow out of some of this. Like, it is throughout our lives. Some of the students, man, look, I get it. You go to this school and it's just surrounded with you all the time. You got friends, right, that they, they don't believe these things and so, or they're not even aware of these things and so they just do whatever they want and whatever pleases them in the moment. It's funny, let's be honest, we make jokes about it. But it matters and it can be destructive in our lives. For the married couples, I'm going to give you a verse here. If we don't want to allow this to come into our lives, why did God create it in the first place? <laughs> and why did he make it pleasurable? I love 1 Corinthians chapter 7. Some of you, especially the fellas, you're going to like take this home and put it on your refrigerator after church today. And uh, I don't think it's intended for that, but let's read it. Now for the matters you wrote about, it is good for a man not to have sexual relations with a woman, but since sexual immorality, porneo, is occurring, each man should have sexual relations with his own wife and each woman with her own husband. Then there's these weird parts. The husband should fulfill his marital duty to his wife and likewise the wife to her husband. The wife does not have authority over his own body, but yields it to her husband the same way the husband does not have authority over her own body, but yields it to his wife. We all tracking? We don't really like this verse sometimes because it brings questions to our mind. Do not deprive each other except perhaps, <laughs> I get this, except perhaps by mutual consent and for a time so that you may devote yourselves to prayer. Did you, did you catch that? Like it says, if you're married, if you're, let's be clear, if you're so weak spiritually that you need to get married, then once you are married, then you should participate in this act a lot and only break so often to pray with each other. <laughs> That doesn't happen in your marriage, does it? In fact, I'll tell you, uh, we've been, I've been doing this long enough. I know for young people, we talk about sex like, oh, sweet. Glad I came to church today. We talk to people who've been married a while, like, oh, why did I come to church today? Because this causes more pain and arguments in your marriage. What if that didn't have to be the case? I got to believe that God could actually see some redemption if we showed some compassion for one another. I believe that when we're facing that, we should seek help. I've told people early on from the day my wife and I got married, we every so often go back to counseling because you need it. You need to talk to somebody about what's going on in your life. If, if this particular area of your marriage is an issue, you need to talk to somebody. It's okay. 
In fact, the church believes in helping you that we will pay for the first four sessions of any Christian counselor you want to see on any issue. We want to connect you and help you in whatever you're facing. Don't be afraid to ask and to talk to somebody. The reality is there may be things that many of you need to work through. Matt Bays did a wonderful job from what I saw last Sunday, and there was a lot of spiritual help found. And I just want to tell you that that story, unfortunately, is not uncommon to people. Statistics say that one in five girls, 20%, one in five girls and one in 20 boys is a victim of sexual abuse. Did I just break your heart? The idea that some of us, we've made poor decisions and we have baggage in our sex life that we bring with us into relationships and we need to talk to somebody about it. But some of us have had horrible people do horrible things to us. One in 20 men, even boys, this is just kids, sexual abuse. Those are things you need to talk about. Every two minutes, an American is sexually assaulted. Let me read that again. That's unbelievable. Every two minutes, an American, not some other country, is sexually assaulted, and every eight minutes, that child is a victim. Those are things that we need to talk about. I read another statistic that said, I believe it was 51% of women who had some form of date rape in their lives. It was done by someone they were dating or a partner with, not like some stranger. It's overwhelming, and we don't know who to talk to. We think it's our fault or something, and Satan loves to plant these ideas in our mind. Guys, if you're struggling in this area, you need to talk to somebody. It's okay, and we want to help you do that. This is a, the gift of sex. It's a gift that God granted us to draw a married couple closer together, to unite us both physically and spiritually, that we may be one in him. It's a beautiful thing, and we don't need to be afraid of it. And we don't need to have anxiety over it. Unfortunately, too many of us have experienced it. So the next question comes up, but isn't sex natural, right? Like, okay, so we always, I get it. I know, I know, I know, I know. Pastor, oh, sex only in marriage. If we're not married, we're not supposed to do it. But isn't it natural? Like, I remember we first started the church in, in our living room and looking around. And we taught on sex the first time. And literally two-thirds of the people were not married and they were living together. I mean, that's, that's really common in our culture today. And look, we didn't, like, belittle anyone, but we're honest about what God says on these things. He doesn't want the worst. He wants the best. He wants to help you in this life. But one of the things I hear sometimes is, isn't it just natural? Isn't it natural? Didn't God make us like that? We're all just animals? Like the great theologians of the 1990s, the blood hand gang? <laughs> you and me, baby, ain't nothing but mammals. So let's do it like we do on the Discovery Channel, right? Look, we hear that. That's a throwback for some of you. Like, we hear this stuff, but I want to give you a response to that. God created this way to draw us together, not to cause more issues in our lives. You see, 1 Corinthians 7, right before that in 1 Corinthians 6, verse 12 to 20, it says this. I'm going to read it quickly. I have the right to do anything you say, but not everything is beneficial, I love the right to do anything, but I will not be mastered by anything. Unfortunately, sex masters many of our lives. You say food for the stomach and so for the food, God will destroy them both. The body, however, is not meant for porneo, sexual immorality, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. By his power, 
God raised the Lord from the dead, and he will raise us also. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ himself? That's why it refers to the church as the body of Christ. Shall I then take the members of Christ and unite them with a the prostitute? Never. Do you not know that he who unites himself with a prostitute is one with her in body? For it is said, the two will become one flesh. But whoever is united with the Lord is one with him in spirit. And then get this. The Bible that Paul here doesn't just teach, like, and remember, Corinth was really messed up. What happened in Corinth stayed in Corinth. <laughs> like, it was a port city. Sailors came in. They spent the night, and then they left over track. He says this. Flee. Not just, like, have a conversation. He says, flee from sexual immorality. All other sins a person commits outside the body, but whoever sins sexually sins against their own body. Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. And that's when we start going down the laundry list of reasons we can't. You don't understand. Like, I've just been raised this way. I had never known any other way. I just don't think I could ever do it. I've tried before and I've failed and I just think it's impossible. I don't really want to. I'm going to go to heaven when I die. That's all I care about. I don't want to do that. I want to actually live that out in my life, but the reality is there are some circumstances, whether it's financially or whatever it is, we can all come up with our reasons. I just can't. Here's what I want to encourage you, not condemn you for mistakes we have made. God does not want you to sit in your sin and your baggage from past decisions. He doesn't want you to sit there with the destruction that this area of your life has caused you. He desires to redeem it. He desires to mend the brokenness. In the Old Testament and the New Testament, we get a glimpse of this grace-filled, loving, truth-filled God who draws us in, not calls us out. And that's his desire for us. I'll tell you... um, I grew up just, if I'm completely honest, I didn't share this at the first service. First time I ever heard that sex outside of marriage would be an issue was I was watching 90210. This is a true story. And there was an episode with like Donna. This is old school. I know I apologize to young people in the room. Like Donna and to the really, the older people than me, you're like, I have no idea what you're talking about. She was not going to have sex before marriage. I'd never heard of that. And most of my friends wouldn't have considered that. And yet, I'll tell you, as I began to follow God, I became a Christian at 19. I started beginning to try to follow him in this area of my life, and it was amazing how it actually was possible. But the reality was, I still struggled for a number of years. And I remember I met my wife, Lisa. She's amazing. She was at the first service. I loved her. I thought she was beautiful. I was so passionately in love with her. And I just thought, we're going to get married. And I began to struggle with things. Not anything major I'd get fired over, but, you know, things. And... I remember we had a conversation and we said, hey, what if until we got married, we just refrained from any, we didn't even kiss each other for the six months leading up to that. I know that's insane for some of us. And I'm not trying to set a high standard that those of you feel like you can't fulfill that, that brand you a bad person. Mm -mm, Not doing that. But I'm saying, I actually saw God take my brokenness and begin to redeem some things in this area of my life. I know, I know it's possible. That's the God that we serve. And here's why it's so important. I'm gonna wrap it up. Here's what's really at stake. What's really at stake. In 1 Thessalonians 4, verses three and four and five, Paul writes this to the church in Thessalonica in one of his first letters. 
It is God's will that you should be sanctified, that you should avoid sexual immorality, that each of you should learn to control your own body in a way that is holy and honorable. Then get this, underline, circle this, not in passionate lust like the pagans who do not know God. The word, the phrase there, passionate lust, it comes from this root word. You don't need to be like a Greek scholar this morning. You'll get this. Epithemia. Epithemia was to have a strong desire, to have a strong, unbelievable desire. This word here is used to describe the passionate lust that those who aren't trying to follow God have sexually in our lives. But it's not the only place the New Testament uses that word. Epithemia was also used by Jesus in Luke chapter 22, verse 15. And he said to them, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. The same word to describe the sexual lust of people not honoring God in their lives, Jesus here uses his desire for his disciples. The strong, unbelievable desire to love you and to grow you up into the person you created to be, that he knew 2,000 years ago you'd be sitting in this room today and he has such a strong, overwhelming epithemia, desire for you. He's passionate for you. This word is also used in Philippians 1.23 where Paul describes, I'm torn between the two. I desire, I desire, I epithemia to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far. It describes Paul's desire for Jesus. This word represents no better than I can think of in our culture today, the dichotomy which we face, where on the one hand, our desire, our lust, our passion in our lives could be meant for something that brings us pleasure momentarily in a moment, like the pagans do. And on the other side, something that could bring us passion and lust for our heavenly Father that we desire to serve him most in our life. It's the struggle of following Jesus. It's not easy. It's hard. It's simple, but it's hard. But that is part of following him. And it's not because he wants to destroy your life. It's because he wants the best for it. You see, when you begin to desire him to have epithemia for him, he actually begins to work and show up in your life. Here's what I can guarantee you. I can't always tell you why God isn't speaking to you. You're not hearing from him in his life. Sometimes we have quiet moments, dark moments of the soul. Where we're just not hearing to him. I believe he's trying to stretch our faith at times. That's a, doubt's okay. We can be honest with God about that. But I can tell you this. If you have misplaced your epithemia and your sexual desire for human physical relationships is stronger than your desire for him, I understand why you're not hearing from him. How could you? And for so many in our culture, we're like, we want you, we want you, we want you, but as long as this can be my primary desire. Unfortunately, it doesn't work like that. He desires to be the foremost and primary desire of our lives. And so as I wrap this up, I'll just share this. If you want to desire him first and foremost, but you feel like it's impossible, I want to remind you of the Jesus who lived 33 years on this planet, three years of active ministry that was the eternally begotten son of the heavenly father. There was not a time when he was not. He was there when the world created. He knitted you together in your mother's womb. He was there when the Red Sea parted. He was there and witnessed the miracles when the, the sun stood still, when God showed up throughout human history. He was there when he was made to carry a tree trunk a mile up a hill after being whipped with the cat of nine tails 39 times, chunks of flesh coming out of his body. He was there. He was there when he was nailed to the cross and suffocated to death in front of his family and his friends. He was there. He understands pain and suffering. 
He understands what it's like to give something up for his desire for his heavenly father. It's not easy. Why do we act like it is? It's not easy. God knows that. It's about where our desire is placed that matters. And sex is a wonderful thing intended to be something to draw a a couple together, maybe even procreate, but it is not something that is meant to be the primary thing we seek in this life. But for so many of us, it is. We spend all of our time thinking about it. We think about him and about her and about the possibilities. And we online, we get on the Snapchat and the Instagram, we look at all the pictures and we think about things and we click on things that our friends send us and we know we shouldn't, but like we desire it so badly. The heavenly father that knew you and redeemed you and saved you, he wants to redeem this area of your life as well. And he is enough. It's not going to be easy. You may take two steps forward and one step back. The enemy is the one that wants you to sit there and wallow in your sin and sorrow as if you'll never be able to step up again. Our heavenly father says, you messed up, come to me again. That's how great my cross is. I desire for you to know me and to be known fully. And that's actually what sex represents in your life, that you know each other even on a spiritual level. And I want to be a part of your life in every aspect because I am your primary desire. Will you pray with me? God, For so many of us right now, this is just a painful issue. And we don't know how to honor you in this way. And rather than sitting in our shame and our guilt, you welcome us with open arms. You are powerful enough. You are grace-filled enough. You love us enough and desire us enough to free us and to redeem us. It takes us responding to you, and then it takes us repeatedly turning to you. And so, God, may you renew our hope this morning. I want to stop for just a second. Maybe there are some married people in the room right now that this is such a sore area of your life. You don't even want to talk about it. God, if you have been encouraging us or convicting us in this area, may we talk to our spouse today. May we seek help. May this be something that draws us together. If you're somebody here this morning that maybe has been struggling with sexual sin in your life and you desire to live differently, maybe you've been lusting a lot, you've been looking at too many things, you knew you shouldn't have done it, and you've just been feeling guilty over it, and you thought of just leaving Christ and Christianity over it, he doesn't want that for you. He wants to welcome you with open arms. So if that is you, I want you to just pray right now to invite him and his grace to take away the pain and the shame. Pray this with me. God, forgive me. Because of your work on the cross, Jesus, I receive your grace and your mercy right now. Thank you. Thank you. Take away my shame. Right now, here in this moment, on July 17th, 2016, I surrender my sex life to you fully. For those who desire to be married someday, pray this with me. God, I commit my sex life to you and I want to wait until I get married and I want to have the most incredible sex life with my spouse. And I'm okay saying that. But God, help me to honor you with the boundaries you put so that we can protect myself and my spouse and my family. 
And then for those of us who are continually past that and we're still struggling, I want to invite you just to let go of the baggage. Let it go this morning. God, take the baggage from me. Forgive me. Thank you for your mercy. And I just love you. I want you to be my first and foremost desire in this life. We pray these things in Jesus' holy name and all God's family said, amen.